And I know all their stories because they feel com- and now that I share, they feel comfortable enough coming to me. Coach, I'm in trouble. What are you in trouble with? And they share a relationship thing. They share a mental health thing that they don't feel like they need to hide. And one of the greatest comments I got from an athlete was, Coach, I appreciate how real you are. Right? I'll tell them when I'm having a bad day. Hey, I'm having a bad day. This is what happens. X, Y, Z. And it's impacted me. I'm a little grumpier than I normally am. And that's that. That's not your problem. But I'm sharing it with you because, one, you're. I ask you to share with me. I can't ask you to share with me and then me not share with you. This isn't a one-way street. I have to go first if I expect you to share with me. Dímelo, dímelo, mi gente. Welcome to another episode of the Can't Do It As podcast brought to you by Plural. You already know, it's your boy Pavel bringing you another special episode with another very special guest. As a quick reminder, on this podcast, the mission is to redefine professionalism. So every week we have a different guest join us for a very candid conversation between the conflict that they've experienced between professionalism and authenticity. Speaking of guests, on this week's episode, we got my guy Manny, who was named Skidmore's College Head Men's and Women's Crew Coach back in May 2021. He himself was actually a standout collegiate rower at Ithaca College, where he stayed as a graduate assistant and then an assistant coach while also pursuing an advanced degree in sports psychology. Now, you don't often hear Latinos in rowing, specifically at the leadership and coaching level. So I'm excited for y'all to hear his story around the experience between professionalism, around authenticity in this specific profession. Despite the various obstacles, he was actually named Regional Coach of the Year by the Collegiate Rowing Coaches Association. And now that you know a little bit more about our guest, Manny, let's get into the episode. Mi gente. All right, so let's kick it off with the word authenticity. It's such a buzzword. You hear it all the time. What does it mean to you when you hear it? I want to be my own self at practice, around my kids, in the community. I think a lot about high school, right, and how from all elementary school, you're your happy self. And then in high school, you gotta, you feel this pressure to conform with everything right? And figure out who you want to be. And it wasn't until I was like 30 where I decided I was 27. I'm going to be me. And then whoever likes me, great. And whoever doesn't, good for you. But I'm going to be my most authentic. I'm going to do the things that makes me happy, that I enjoy. I'm going to, I'm going to speak the way I want to speak. I'm going to present myself the way I want to present myself. And it's not going to be for everyone. And that's okay. And that's when I found my myself as the happiest. I wasn't trying to keep up with anyone. I, this is it. And if it's for you, great. And if it's not, also great. Because that means I'm saving myself the stress of trying to impress people who are not for me. I think that's fascinating that high school was such a pivotal moment for you. What was it before high school where you didn't feel the pressure to fit in or, or do anything else that you just felt so comfortable before high school? I see it in the sense that and especially in boys, when you're in elementary school, you're allowed to be nice. You're allowed to be sweet. And I went to high school in the early 2000s, right? You weren't allowed to be nice or sweet. 
and it, you were bullied or taken advantage of, right? You were soft. Couple, and, called a couple gay slurs. Exactly, right? And now, I don't care, right? This is, I'm going to be my authentically nice person, my nice self. And as a result, people who are for me stuck around and the people who are not for me have left. And my circle of people around me are, are now more solid, right? Because I'm able to be the me that I want to be, right? I always so liked being you, a nice person. I was going to say, so in high school, did you, and I went through this phase as well, but did you try to be some version of a tough guy? In what ways did you try to hide yourself? I guess the example I think of in every, I'm 38, every guy who's 38 knows this. You take your athletics photo. Yeah, like you refuse to right. smile at all. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> now I'm a coach and I see the guys doing that. Be like, do you like this sport? They're like, we do. I said, why do you look so miserable? <laughs> like, why are you portraying something you're not? Like, the fact that you can smile in a photo, no, no competition has ever been decided by whether you smiled or looked tough in a photo. <laughs> right? right? No one's ever. No one's ever looked at a photo online. Oh, look at that guy not smiling. He's definitely going to win today. There's no correlation. This is societal pressure to, to look tough. But who cares? <laughs> Yo, isn't that... I could literally go through my Instagram photos with my boys that I'm taking pictures of. Not one person smiling. And then I remember smiling in one picture and I got made fun of. Yo, why are you smiling? As if that's a bad thing. Yeah, but I had my pose too. It was like, I don't know. It was like this kind of like holding mm -hmm. arms like this instead of the cross arm. But yeah, and you got to push up <laughs> on the arms a little bit so that your arms look bigger. Yeah, I know yeah. all, I remember all the tricks. Yo, that's crazy. Do you, so do you remember the first time like you smiled in a picture? <laughs> Did people make fun of you? Oh, I didn't in middle school. hundred percent. If you smile, you don't smile. Middle school is brutal. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, my God. You Kids bring lunch from home. You bring lunch from home, look at this slur, bringing lunch from home, right? Like, I brought lunch from home, what do you mean? Uh-uh. And you I love... in a loving family that makes lunch for you, and that's a, yeah, that's a, it's a bad to be thing. made fun of. What's even... Well, sorry, go for it. No, and now I just... I think about that a lot, because now I have a five-year-old, and he's really sweet. And I, I realize I've got eight years. He'll be 13 in eight years. I have eight years to instill co enough confidence in him that he can be his authentic self and not give not care what anyone else thinks. But that, remember, that's the timeline I operate on. I remember in high school, I, I, I grew up in, so I went to high school in the South Bronx, but I grew up on the Upper West Side and the Upper West Side is a traditionally good neighborhood. Although I grew up in the projects on the Upper West Side, I would be made fun of for living in the Upper West Side because it was not a tough neighborhood. Meanwhile, everyone wants to live in a not tough neighborhood. Who wants to live yep. in a dangerous neighborhood? Yet, yep. the more dangerous the neighborhood that you lived in, automatically, just for living there, you got some sort of respect. And I look back at those moments now and it's just like, it's so backwards. Yeah, now that I'm an adult, I think about what I, the image and the, the values that I portray and whether or not I care if someone else accepts them or not, right? Mm. Oh, any not tough. 
I don't care. Right? That's not what you think of me is, is, is your problem. That is a you issue. That's not a me issue. I agree. So in, in what other ways do you think early on you didn't feel comfortable sort of like displaying who you were? Oh, I don't want to beat the, the middle school dead horse because everyone knows that one. Uh, no, that's fine. I, I know when I started coaching, I, I felt like I needed to talk a certain way and uh, portray a certain, you know, project a certain image that added to my credibility and wasn't able to be my authentic self in my coaching, in my, my I've got to be this tough guy. I'm up here and the athletes are down here, right? We're, we're this, I'm a coach. I'm supposed to talk a certain way, do a certain thing, have act a certain way. And that I had to hide other parts of me that would have, negatively impacted my credibility and now again later you, in my what do you think are some of those things that would have in, in your head you're telling yourself this story what are some of the things that you think you were telling yourself that would have negatively impacted your credibility as a coach well my team never knew about my life away from practice the thing the things that brought me joy i'm a gamer i like playing video games i like hanging out and playing whatever my team didn't know i did that I like to play basketball. My team didn't know I did that. My team didn't know I had friends. My team just thought I was this coach that ate, breathes, lives my sport. And I still do those things, but also I do other things. And I invite my athletes to see my life outside of the sport. And when I recruit athletes, my family, they at some point will meet someone from my family. Normally my kids who run in on the Zoom screen and, and start talking, whether or not I invite them over. But I tell them, like, they're part of the deal. You come to, to row for me, you come to be one of my athletes, you're going to see my kids. They're going to be around. And if they make you uncomfortable, that's okay. Choose another school. I'm not for you. And that is okay. And as a result, I've enjoyed coaching more and I don't need to sacrifice between my coaching and my family because they overlap. Uh, Tell me about when you're telling yourself these stories, right? Or things that, that let's keep work and life separate. What were some of those worst case scenarios that you thought if I did show my kids or if I did say that I'm a gamer, like what were some of those worst case scenarios that you thought about yourself, whether it's for the team or for your job, yeah, your perception, anything? That I wouldn't be a respected leader that my athletes wouldn't respect me, wouldn't listen to me, and as a result, would underperform. For a college coach, I coach Division three, so so outcome's not everything. I'm really fortunate. I'm also competitive. I'm not trying to lose and be like, I'm glad we had fun. Right. And, and when you recruit, people want to go to successful programs. Right. Uh, what kind of success have you had? If the, the group is not listening, if the group is not responding, if the group is not being respectful, then you're not going to get the performance that they're capable of. Uh, and I felt like hiding those things enhanced my credibility. And I don't think it took away from my credibility, but now that I've overlapped the two, it enhances my credibility when I thought it would detract from my believability. Of course. And I just want to empathize with you. It's we all have those thoughts in our heads. 
we all mm-hmm. often go to worst case scenarios as well. And we often think it's going to take away from the amazing impact that we're having in whatever business we're driving. Right. I'm curious for you, how much of this was like in your head versus people were telling you, or maybe it was maybe just unspoken signals. When you look around at like leadership or other coaches, was that the representation that you were just seeing people that just like kept those things separate and you wanted to remodel it? I'm wondering like why you got into that early headspace. That's a big one. I guess when people are open and transparent, you don't see the things that bring them joy, but you don't see the things that they struggle with. Right. So when a coach is, you don't know the coach, you just see the coach at practice and you don't know anything about them, right? And you just see them completely focused on practice at that moment, as they should be, right? Especially if you're a professional coach, that's, that's what you want to do. And all right, they, they're moderately successful. I want to be successful, so I'm going to do what they do. But then you find out their marriage is on the rocks or they have an awful relationship with their kids. You don't see the negative parts of it. And it wasn't until I started seeing the negative parts of it that I was like, I better be my most authentic self, right? And and tell everyone very clearly what my life goals are and let them decide if I'm them, if I'm for them or not. I took my job two years ago and on my interview, I told him, I said, my job will be one B forever. My family is one A. And if this isn't for you, that's okay. Don't hire me. And they hired me because I was the only one to give them a real answer. So, so it was nice to be rewarded for my, for being authentic. Right. But to have the confidence to walk in an interview, be like, you're going to be my second priority. Wow. I took a risk on that one. Right. That, that worked out, but it doesn't always work out. And we need more stories of people being successful as their authentic self and or not being successful all the stories the successful ones then the non-successful ones because that way you see the whole you're able to make a whole judgment for yourself there's i think of the nick tom thibodeau is is infamous for not being married he's i don't have time to be married he's the the head coach of the new knicks i don't have time to be married Uh, i'm only here about basketball and that's fine but he made a conscious decision it wasn't one of those things where his life was decided for him. And then he looks back, it's too late and he can't do anything. He lost his marriage and his kids hate him and blah, 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 blah. Uh, mm. He consciously made that decision versus he thinks he wants one life. He, and then he's got this other life and it's hard. And then he, things don't go the way he wants it. If I think the failures are just as important to share as the successes because yeah. then people are allowed to make their own informed decision as to what, kind of life they won't lead yeah that that's interesting i didn't know that about Thibodeau, although i'm very familiar with who he is i'm curious going back to the your decision to early on hide certain things about yourself like gaming and all these things was that guidance that like people told you because I, I think often even our families tell us right or our coworkers, or our mentors that we look up to they tell us how to lead how to be a certain employee how to be a certain team member and we often like take in some of that guidance yet it worked for them. That doesn't mean it's going to work for us. Did you get some of that early guidance? I never got it verbally, but in what you saw hmm. and how. So I, I worked with a couple of teams. I was a third, fourth assistant, right? Where you just sit and listen and know your role, 
right? When they want the fourth assistant's opinion, they'll ask, right? But generally, especially certain levels, right? So you're just watching and you see how the coaches interact and they never bring up stuff about their life. That must be the way it's going to be. Like, if I want to reach that level, those are the things that I have to do. And not saying that doesn't work. I'm just not aware what the trade-off is because I don't know what, what, what else is happening in their lives. And I'm really fortunate to be in a position where I'm able to be an open book for my athletes and they see the whole thing. And it just makes it that much more fun. That's what I assumed. I was just like, you probably saw some sort of representation of people maybe being, maybe stoic is a dramatic word, but maybe in, in something along those lines that you were like, oh yeah, they're successful. They've been here for a bunch of time. Let me do that. Yeah. Yeah. You copy, you emulate what you write. Uh, it's not what you say. It's what's the same idea. Yeah. And even if somebody doesn't tell you, like to your point, like those unspoken signals are just as powerful. I think your case in particular in coaching is fascinating because out of all the sports in the world, I would bet that no one guessed that you would be coaching rowing. I've been to college. I went to Northeastern. I know what the rowing team looks like. It doesn't look like the basketball team. I'll tell you that. 100%. To this day, when I meet new families, there's always a pause. And it's never, it's a micro pause. It's gotten, the pause as we've become more progressive. But I had one athlete tell me they fixed it. I'm not sure. I'm not, I don't know how it went, but I walked out. I was in my office. I got a phone call. Hey, so your recruits in the lobby. All right. So I go to the lobby and the girl goes, oh, I lost the bet with my mom. I said, what was the bet with your mom? She goes, you didn't look like what I thought you were to look like. I was like, tell me more about that. She goes, oh, well, every rowing coach walks out in a flannel with a vest on. <laughs> That's the fit? That's the rowing coach fit? Yeah, and I, I had a hoodie, but she wasn't wrong. Every rowing coach I know is the flannel and the vest. So I knew exactly what she was talking about. But for that slight instance, I was like, is she going to say this? Is she going to start off the way I think she's going to start off? Like... No kidding, I know every rowing coach. Where is she going with this? But she saved it and it, she was she never she didn't mean anything by it. She was genuinely talking about the fit. But yeah, that's every rowing coach is a flannel and a vest. That's a pair of jeans or sometimes khakis. But yeah, that's the fit. Does that also force you to think about because I think a lot of things that we've been talking about authenticity so far has been like behaviors, the way you carry yourself. But now now we're getting into appearance as well, right? And in a predominantly white institution and then sport, how do you think about how you show up from your hair to you wearing a hoodie and not a flannel with the vest? Like, yeah, how do you think about those things? So there's not, there's the 90% of my time or the 10%. The 90% of my time, it is I'm wearing my hair like this and I do this on purpose. I hate having long hair. The amount of work that goes into it is more than I want to do. But... When I And that's just a selfish reason, right? It's just, I got to straighten it. I need product. I can't run out of products. I, it's, 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 if it's humid outside, I got to do more work, right? Just the amount of maintenance it needs. That's why I don't like it. I love my curls, but I always tell everyone that I'm going to win a national championship one day. And when they take that photo, I want, it, I want my curls to be shown next holding the trophy. I want my, I want future rowers of color to see that it's possible right 
the moment I do that, I'm cutting it. But that's the ultimate. I want them to see that. I want them to see a coach can wear a hoodie and not be and still be an excellent coach. I want them to see a coach can have a tattoo and still be an excellent coach. That I can look a certain way and still be an excellent coach. Right. 90% of the time, I'm doing that on purpose. Right. That I've got these tattoos on my forearm, whatever. They're for my kids. And then when they when people see a tattoo, they're like, oh, what's that? And I tell them, oh, that's dope. That, that's fine. But that's their gut reactions. There is their thing, not mine. Uh, and the truth is that 10%, I got a fundraise. Then it's a sure and it's a tie. And I got to play the game. That's, I got to play the sure. game. Uh, and then I pull it back and I've this is cut tight and I'll then I'll but I think that's in almost any case authenticity is is necessary and but also that you want to be a certain level of professional that ten percent I I do want to have a, a, a certain tie and look a certain way I particularly when I'm there's, yeah there's nothing wrong with wearing a shirt and tie listen I think I look damn good in a suit right. But it's about me wanting to wear the suit versus, I think, feeling the pressure just to feel the need to fit in to wear certain things, right? So, yeah, it's not about the or. For me, it's about the and. Like, you can wear the hoodie and you can yeah. wear a shirt and tie if you want. I definitely want to get into that 10% later in, later in the conversation. I think hair is such a fascinating thing, especially for men, because I feel like it's often only discussed from a woman's point of view which I completely get, but when did you start growing out your hair? Because I have never seen my hair long because I, for so long, have just always had short hair, probably just because of conditioning, but also that in-between phase, like I don't know what it's going to look like and all these things. I don't yeah. even know if my hair curls like that. I have no idea because I've yeah. never grown out my hair to that point. Yeah. So when did you start growing out your hair? So I grew it out when I was in college just because I thought it would be cool. But I never took care of it. And then it looked like hell. But that's what happens. You don't take care of something. <laughs> and then went back to the three on top, skin fade, box the front. And then when my son was born, he's going to turn six in July. That was the last time it was short. And I haven't cut it since. I cut the wow. sides. but yeah. I, And we live in a predominantly white community. And I said, I need my son to have at least one example of curly hair. Uh, so I've been doing it since... And my fortune, my sister's been coaching me through it. Cry, call her, Chris, what do I, I'll send her pictures. Chris, what do I do with this? And she'll send me, she sends me a, a care package of stuff. Or she'll be like, have you a silk cap? Uh, different <laughs> things to try. And then she'll come up and when she visits me, she'll coach me up. And that's been a huge help is having a coach, right? On what to do with my hair. Because for the longest time, I was like, I don't know, you just... Head and shoulders. Yeah. And my sister, if you ever buy that again, uh, I'm just owning you. You were using the, the four-in-one body wash and the hair. And everything. Everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the changes your oil in the car, the whole nine. <laughs> like, why was it so important for you having a child and then that being the moment for you? That's a big moment when things become bigger than yourself. Mm. Right? Like, up until that point, I'm in my own little bubble. And I'm the most important person in the world and then at that moment you are not the most important person in the world and your decisions need to be made with others in mind i think and and i don't know if this is part of the consideration as well but it's this 
tangible representation of someone literally looking up to you. Right. And it's not that before you had a child, people didn't look up to you. Of course, people looked up to you. Even on a certain level, people are always watching us. Right. Even I mean, you're a coach, you're in a leadership role. People are literally looking to you for guidance, for representation. Yet, for whatever reason, like a child is is such a powerful representation. Like you, you made that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mine. Then you start. Yeah, and then you start. You think from what I hear from parents, because I'm not a parent. What I hear is you start realizing how much representation, how powerful the representation that you are in these in this person's eyes. Uh And I think actually now is, is so now we got three kids. My daughter's three. And she's got really curly hair. And I think it's going to be her that takes the most out of it. I think my older one, his hair is a little straighter and he's a guy, so he's going to keep it shorter. And that's fine. He do whatever you want. I don't care. But I think for my middle one, who's got curlier hair, I think it's going to play a big, bigger factor, mm. which I never even thought of when I started. She, I was trying to get to the first one. I wasn't thinking about the second one. But it's the second one who's going to see the greater benefits. What's crazy about that is that because you went on your journey and you are literally educating yourself about this process through your own process. Now you can educate her. Imagine you would have never grown your hair out. You would have been like, I don't know what to do with you. I don't know what to do with your hair. You have to call your sister to be like, come do her hair every morning because I have no idea what I'm doing. Well, my, my now at three, my daughter will choose me. Who's doing your hair? Daddy. Oh, that's uh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Because I know what it's like to have the comb stuck in a knot. And I, all right, you got to take the cream. You got to work the knot out. You just can't rip it through. It's going to hurt. You got to work the knot out. Plus, it takes a while to grow your hair. You don't want to rip the knots out. You can put in a bunch of time to get it to grow. So, and I do it a certain way and she loves it. That's so cute. Yeah. All right, let's get back to what you said earlier. Because I think this is like such a fascinating scenario, right? Fundraising. And we get into this to your point, like maybe 10% of where you may not feel 100% comfortable in the same way you are with your athletes or your peers and colleagues. What more is on the line when you're doing that versus coaching? Like, why do you feel the pressure on another level? That's a great question. The first, I don't know if it's the most important, but the first thing that comes to mind is that more often than not, I don't have an established relationship with the person. Mm. I don't know them as well. Sometimes I know them. And the ones that I know, I can wear a hoodie and jeans. The ones that I don't know, I don't want to blow it. Because I want to... Fundraising gives me the opportunity to offer a better experience for my athletes. And if I blow it, that's just a missed opportunity. And I want, right or wrong, people make judgments right away. Yeah, first impressions matter, right, they say, yeah. First impression matter. And I don't want to put myself at a disadvantage because I'm trying to prove a point. Because I might... If I wear, if I if I go to a meeting with someone that I don't have a relationship with, and I show up looking like I've been working at the boathouse all day, 
And when you're at the boathouse, it's hoodie, it's jeans. It's the, the team knows I have a look. It's my hoodie, my jeans, and my Tim's. And it looks like I'm not, I don't want to say I'm not ready for the opportunity, but whatever it is, it puts me at a disadvantage and I just spend the rest of the meeting getting out of the hole versus mm -hmm. if I show up looking a certain way, then I could spend the rest of the meeting making progress. And that is simply with the ones that I don't have a relationship with. Well, the ones I do have a relationship with where I've already established my credibility and the reason to believe me, those I show up looking like whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and, and, hey, you want to grab, grab lunch? Yeah, sure. Let's go. I just totally fine. Yeah, and listen, the, the point of this podcast and the conversation, like I'm not here to convince you to do anything. It's more so it's an interesting thought exercise though. Right. Mm -hmm. And around the credibility and building that with someone that you meet for the first time. And I think we've walked through a couple different scenarios where that happens with you, right? Oftentimes with recruits, you're meeting them for the first time in person, right? Mm -hmm. But for some reason you feel a level of confidence, or you feel comfortable in your credibility with meeting recruits and their families. And there's still pressure there, right? Because you want to win and you need these recruits and you need caliber recruits to come in and win, right? But at the same time, maybe like it's for me, it sounds like you feel a little bit less credible in the eyes of these potential donors, although you're also meeting them for the first time. Yeah. Because I don't know how many times like the development office Hey, Manny, can you jump on a call real quick? Yeah, sure. I look like a disaster, but I'll jump on the call. It, do it doesn't matter. Just jump on the call. They just yeah. want to hear from you. So I've heard from outside voices. It doesn't matter. Mm. But it does. And mm. it's just it's popping in my head as we're talking about it. And I remember being elementary school, middle school. Manny, iron your shirt. Manny, get your hair cut. Manny, tuck in your shirt. You got to look, pull together. We're going to this thing. You got to look a certain way. And, and maybe that's it. Who knows? But, and money makes people think differently. Tell me about some of those early experiences though, that you're talking about. Cause I got the same feedback, right? I'm assuming that's from like family, right? Yeah. My, mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I remember having to dress up to go to the airport and take a flight together. <laughs> like, I, I still, I won't wear sweatpants to the airport. Like, Really? Yeah. Now I have nice sweatpants now. I got these nice pair of sweatpants, but I won't go in the, the gray sweats going to the airport. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. I used to say, yeah. And my mom used to jab me in the side. Yes. It's yes. It's no. Nah. The haircut. My father wanted to get me a suit in third grade. Remember that? He's like, we're going to get you a suit for what? For a special occasion. I was like, what special occasion? I'm in third grade. <laughs> My my panorama box, so what is the, the thing where you make the, the story in the shoe box? Like, I don't need a suit, but you know, you need a suit just in case. So, I, I definitely remember those conversations. I feel like that's a big father or father figure moment. So, I didn't grow up with, I didn't grow up with my father, but my grandfather, it was like the same moment. I wasn't third grade, I was a little bit older, but still, I was just like, he was like, Yeah, let me take you to shop. And I'm like, For what? He was like, yeah, I know a guy. I know a guy. We like went and I was like, huh? 
I'm like, I was so thankful and grateful, but they were like collecting dust in the closet. But it's a, it's an interesting thought exercise. Again, like just thinking about the question I asked you earlier too, around, did anyone tell you that you had to go to this networking event and be a certain way? And sometimes people do. Other times it's like just signals that we've received early on and we've just carried them on and we're still going to be like that because that's what we've been taught. And other times, maybe some people did tell us whether it's spoken or unspoken, but I feel like that collective life experience is what impacts the way that we show up these days. Right. And I get it. There's one thing of meeting a recruit, but when there's money on the line, like for me, I've been in similar situations where I was in sales. So for me, that fundraising or the donor or whatever, for me, that was any external meeting clients, right? So for me, I felt comfortable in most organizations internally because I felt like a peer, but with clients in my head, and no one told me this, but in my head, I put them on a pedestal. I put them above me, Yeah. yeah. but no one told me this, but in my head, I was like, I need to impress you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because again, I was in sales and depend like my job was dependent on how much they liked me. Yeah. I don't want a potential donor's first thought to be like my outfit in a negative way. And I want him right. to be like, oh, he came prepared. Right. Even getting out of the car before you even shake hands, it, you're looking. Oh, okay. This is a fresh. Mm-hmm. Right. This isn't. This person can knows. Has situational awareness. Maybe that's the word. Yeah. Well, I, listen, I'm glad that you're vulnerable enough and open enough to, to talk about some of those experiences. And I think you've grown so much from where you were to accepting so many parts of yourself these days. And listen, we're all we're all still working on ourselves. I'm still figuring myself out. Moving forward, what's the one thing that continues to empower and inspire you to continue being your most authentic self in some of these spaces? Oh, the relationships I have been so much more enjoyable for me. I get joy out of it. I grew up, they surprised me for my, my three-year-old's birthday party. They were there. And I was running late, getting balloons, getting this, getting that. And I show up and they're waiting there for me. And I almost started crying. Uh, I was like, what are you doing here? Today's your off day. And like, no, it's, it's her birthday. We're here to celebrate her birthday. And it just it was a really emotional thing for me because so many people have to choose their profession or their family. And for me to have both at the same time was awesome. And to have, it was just a special moment that they could have done anything. They came to have their coaches, come to their coaches, three-year-old doors, but she's never going to remember that. She's three. I'm going to remember that forever, right? We had another daughter a month ago, and they got me a card. They signed and framed a onesie, right? And then they got gift bags from my two older ones as big brother, big sister gifts, right? Because they didn't want them to feel left out. The new baby got something, they didn't get anything, right? Mm-hmm. Just like that that stuff makes me want to do more for them, right? And I know all their stories because they feel, com- and now that I share, they feel comfortable enough coming to me. Coach, I'm in trouble. What are you in trouble with? And they share a relationship thing. They share a mental health thing that they don't feel like they need to hide. And one of the greatest comments I got from an athlete was, 
Coach, I appreciate how real you are. Right? I'll tell them when I'm having a bad day. Hey, I'm having a bad day. This is what happens. X, Y, Z. And it's impacted me. I'm a little grumpier than I normally am. And that's that. That's not your problem. But I'm sharing it with you because, one, you're, I asked you to share with me. I can't ask you to share with me and then me not share with you. This isn't a one-way street. I have to go first if I expect you to share with me. And two, it normal it normalizes bad days, right? Like, coach never has a bad day, so I can't have a bad day. No, coach has bad days, right? And I'm still here. I'm still giving my best effort. And I need you to pick me up today. And those are the words I use. I need you to pick me up today. But there'll be other days I'll grab one of them and be like, you good? I'm okay. I got you today. I'll pick you up today. And over the course of a, of a year, those little things add up. And you get to the end of the year, you've got this trust that is that not only from a competitive standpoint contributes positively to, to speed or a racing sport, right? But everyone loves the buzzword. We're a family. We're a family. We're not a family. I don't know you. We're not that. But we're a group of people that can be vulnerable with each other and share these things. And it, it makes a big difference. And I enjoy that part of it and for some people it's not for them and i tell that's okay but that's the way this team can operate right and it i encourage my athletes to be their authentic self and to not need to meet any expectation but then i can't show it a different example i can't be like hey you're allowed to be your authentic self here's a robot Mi gente, that wraps up another episode of the Can't Do It As podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please do us a favor. Leave us a rating, a review, like, share, comment, tell a friend to tell a friend. Your engagement is going to help this podcast grow. It's going to help ensure that these experiences and stories get heard by as many people as possible. And that's the only way that we're going to redefine professionalism. Thank you. See you next time.